0: Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're
1: here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information.
0: We've been in a series called What a Name. And the What a Name series has been focused on an old passage of scripture, and in it we look at four very relational names that uh, God is going to give to us, and these are names that tell us how God wants to relate to us um, and how he's going to deal with our life and our sins. Specifically, at this time, he's given it to a group of people in Israel who are going through a very, very difficult time time, and he says this, and we've talked about this a lot over the last several weeks, for a child is born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and we've covered those for the last three weeks, and today we're going to talk about the Prince of Peace, but the birth of Jesus was not very peaceful, like we get a picture in our minds and we look at our nativity sets that sit in our houses and Luke chapter 2 says that angels appear and it says glory to God of the highest and on earth peace on men on whom his favor rests and it sounds amazing and cute and cuddly and we have these beautiful scenes but in real life it was different <coughs> in real life you have a teenage girl that is pregnant by God that's tough to explain when your family asks They don't know whether to congratulate you or be freaked out. At nine months pregnant, she is going to travel by donkey. They're going to get to a town where she's still freaking out because she's like, hey, I need a place to stay because I am going to have this baby. And her husband, Joe, did not think ahead and he did not book a hotel room. And every hotel is booked because there's a lot of people traveling and they end up getting a deal to stay in a dude's barn. And I'm sure that Mary thought, well, this is just what I've always wanted. This is exactly how I thought about bringing my firstborn child into the world. Animals, poop, and if you don't think poop is a real thing in a barn, last night at our family service, which by the way was packed wall to wall with kids, we brought live animals into this and there was literal poop on this stage last night. It happens. There was poop and there was a barn and there was no epidural and then Jesus arrives and that sounds bad enough, but during this time a guy named King Herod felt threatened by what was going on. He thought this baby was prophesied to rise up and overthrow him, so he put out a decree to kill all the baby boys. And to make sure that he got the right one, he like I said he didn't just focus on Jesus. He said, "I want you to kill every baby boy under the age of 2." So I want you to think about this scene. There's chaos. There's tears. There's babies being murdered. There's a thing called the stress index. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's a series of life-changing events, about 50 of them, and each one of them is given a score, a rank. And what they say is, if you look at those life-changing events and you're at any point scoring over to 300, you have a chance of stroke, heart attack, death, or more minor health problems. I did the score for Mary and Joseph. They were over 400. It's an intense time. There was no peace while the prince of peace was coming into the world. And the truth is there's probably people in this room and you're going like I feel that because today I feel stressed constantly. So I don't feel any peace. Or your marriage is struggling and right now you walked in holding hands and you made the best show of it you could and you want to have a great Christmas eve and a great Christmas morning but you've been saying the d word at least in your mind if not out of your mouth more often lately than you ever wanted and you're worried, and there's no peace. Maybe it's financially, where you go, hey, we were struggling financially in November, and then December hit, and everything got even harder, and that became a struggle, and financially there's no peace. Or maybe there's relational tension at work or school or in traffic, and no peace. And if none of that got you, you turn on the news or you get on Twitter, and you hear stuff about death and theft, and shootings, and sickness, and wars. And you go, there's no peace. So here's the question I want to ask this morning. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, did he fail? Because depending on how you view it, you would go, well, if he's supposed to come in as the Prince of Peace, I don't feel the peace that's supposed to be here, so did he fail? Well, that depends on how you define these words. And so that's what we're going to look at real quick this morning. First, let's look at Jesus as prince, because Jesus is the prince. We, we have an obsession in our culture with, with royalty and kingdoms. If you get onto apps, the, the top games are going to be about clans and kingdoms and dominance over all kinds of other worlds, and then you'll get fairy tales and TV shows and movies, even toys. Our little boys play with plastic swords while our little girls put on crowns and tiaras because they want to be princes and kings and queens. We're obsessed to the point where when Harry and Meghan got married over in Britain, 30 million Americans watched that wedding. Which somehow like we're hardwired for kingdom and a marriage. Like there's a thing that draws us to both of these, and maybe that's because we were always supposed to follow a king and a prince, and maybe that's because as a church, we were always supposed to be a bride looking for a husband. A husband that would come and rescue us from our sin and from death and from Satan. And he would bring us into an everlasting kingdom and we go, yay! We want that. And we all want to surrender to Jesus as king until we realize it means that we have to stop being king. We have to stop being queen. We have to stop being prince or princess. And it offends our egos where we go, I want to be in charge. Why can't I be in charge? I'll tell you why. Because we're lousy kings. Like, we're not capable. You watch beauty pageant after beauty pageant after beauty pageant. And they come up and they go, what would you do for the world? And they go, I just want the world to have world And we have failed at it for decades. Generations. We're unable to deliver on that. But there is some good news. Jesus is prince. And he has real power to deliver on his promise. From Genesis to Revelation, you will see God, you will see Jesus set up as the ruler and the king and authority of absolutely everything. From Genesis, you see him as the authority over the world. In Revelation, it will say that Jesus is seated on the throne or reference him as Lord 45 times in the book of Revelation alone. Which means God sets Jesus on the throne of creation, which means it permanently displaces you and me from that throne. It's not ours. It's not ours to sit on. Uh, and when we do, we are doing something we're incapable of doing. Like, like for example, I'm trying to lose weight. I've been, I've been eating uh, better. I've lost a, a few pounds. Thanks for noticing. Um, but I have this thing we affectionately... It's like I carry everything right here. And in, 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 in weight loss circles, we would call this a spare what? Spare time. Thanks. But here's what I would tell you. I may have a spare tire, but if your vehicle lost a tire, you would not come and go, Jason, can you come hold on to my axle? We're going to use you to get home. I would die and your car would get damaged because I'm attempting to do something that I am incapable of doing. And what I need us to understand this morning is that it will kill you to be the king of your life. Jesus is king. He is the prince of peace. Let me give you the two Hebrew words that are used in prince of peace. It is the word sar and the word shalom. The word sar we're going to focus on for a minute. It means in charge, lord, captain, chief. The Romans used this and attached more to it. And this is where they got the word Caesar. Julius Caesar, those guys. So Jesus is Tsar of Shalom. He is the commander of Shalom. He is the captain of rest. He is the chief of contentment. So I want to ask you a question. Can you do anything that you want and still have peace with the Prince of Peace? No. See, that's the struggle with our lives. We have the wrong equation in our head. See, we tend to equate, like I described before, we go, did Jesus fail because my circumstances don't seem peaceful? See, we think the equation is that if I have perfection in my circumstances, that is peace. Real quick, raise your hand if you've ever had perfection in your circumstances. Oh, no hands went up. See, we understand inherently that that is not what peace is described as. And so I want us to understand what this actually means. Like Our peace does not come from perfect circumstances. Our peace comes first through obedience to the prince of peace. It is when we do what God says to do that we experience peace. Like, we all get this, right? I talked about about diet a minute ago, so I know this, you know this. If I want to lose weight, but I eat all the wrong food and I'm disobedient to the diet, am I going to get peace in my weight loss? Nope. And look at our life. If you live and you go, well, God's given me a ton of biblical principles for my finances. I followed none of them should you expect to experience peace in your finances. If you have a relationship that you are in, a marriage, dating, whatever, and you go, I'm going to do this however I choose to do it, I don't care how God says to do it, but I would like his peace in that relationship, will you get it? No. See, peace first starts with understanding who is the prince, who is the king, who is the Lord, who is the commander, who is the chief, and our peace is directly attached to our obedience to him that we follow the lordship of Sar Shalom to experience his peace. See, at Christmas time, we are very comfortable with the baby in the manger because we want to we just kind of keep him there because the baby in the manger is cute and cuddly and warm and fuzzy and he doesn't necessarily ask a lot of my life. But if we leave the baby in the manger and we never see him on the cross, we will miss so much of our life, everything that we know will actually be lost. We have to understand that he comes to fulfill something unbelievable. And he does it successfully because he is Prince, King, Lord of all. Jesus is Prince. Jesus is also peace. Isaiah 32, 17 says, The result of righteousness will be peace. Here's the problem. Peace is tied to our righteousness. And none of us are Righteous. The Bible says that all my righteousness, the best I've got, is filthy rags. We're not righteous. And don't get me wrong, I'm not standing here on Christmas Eve looking down at all you crazy sinners. I'm just as messed up. This is why Christmas is so amazing, because, don't miss this church, salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. This is the thing that he brought us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, born for us. See, we're born sinners. And he came to bring a rescue. We're born sinners. We don't have to learn it. How many of you have ever had to teach your kids how to be selfish or hit their brother or sister? (laughs) Comes natural, doesn't it? And we can't just look at kids. How many of you right now, you know how to screw up? We all know this. So we are born sinners. We don't have to learn how to do this. Jesus has never sent our sins, excuse me. He is the perfect sacrifice for us, which is why He's able to give us peace because it comes from His righteousness. What is peace? I told you it's this word, Shalom. It means "as it should be." Like there's a way that we inherently look at stuff and we go, well, that's not how it should be." For example, if I was going to a, give a gift away today, and the gift I was going to give was a hat, and I wanted to give a hat to a baseball team, uh, to somebody today, and I was give away this hat. I honestly thought you'd have a worse reaction to that. You would go, well, Jason, we're in Dallas. The Rangers just won the World Series. If you give that away, this is not what you should be doing on Christmas Eve. So I would go, well, I don't want to give that one away. Would anybody like this one? There we go. Fantastic. Let's see. All right. So you might look at that and go, that's how it should be, because well to get that in here, So <laughs> we want things to exist the way that they should be. It starts with obedience and that obedience leads to things being the way that they should. It's shalom. Peace is not sitting by a quiet river, it's completeness. It's things just being the way they are designed to be. And that's why obedience matters, because it's doing things the way it's designed to be done. It's not the absence of conflict, it's actually the presence of something much better. Shalom was a word in the ancient Hebrew, they used it to describe a perfect stone. It meant a stone with no cracks or gaps in it. Now if you can imagine taking that stone and building a wall with that stone and then people that lived inside that city would experience shalom. They would experience peace. They would experience protection and completeness because there's no gaps and there's no cracks. And what God is telling us is that sin in our life creates gaps and cracks. And so there's something missing. And Jesus comes as shalom. And he goes, that's not what it should be. I'm going to bring redemption to your life. And I'm going to fill the gaps and the cracks with my grace and my love and my redemption. Because you don't simply need to turn over a new leaf. You need the power of a new life. And that's what he comes to give you. See, that's the miracle of Christmas, that unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. He made peace, completeness, for the cracks and the gaps between you and a holy God. He is also the peacemaker. I know when you hear the word peace, the idea of war doesn't come into your mind, but it actually should. Because if Jesus comes and makes peace in the world, what was there before he arrived? Chaos, war, turmoil, Jesus is a peacemaker because he steps into a world that does not have peace and he creates peace because sometimes war is the last resort for the sake of peace. Jesus fought real enemies, enemies that you and I didn't stand a chance against and he did it for our peace. Colossians 2.15 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he disgraced them publicly and he triumphed over them in him. He went to war for our sake, for your sake and for mine. He volunteered to be a casualty so that you and I could go free. Isaiah 53 5 says he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. See, it is only his kingship that restores us to our God forever and makes us what it should be. But can I tell you, when he comes into your life, he doesn't just give you peace forever, he gives you peace today. See, he gives you peace and comfort today. Anybody in here, and you don't have to explain why, but anybody go, man, life is a little haywire right now. Yeah, a lot of people, shaking heads and hands up and all that kind of stuff. Jesus wants to bring you comfort. John chapter 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Whose peace? His peace. It's not your peace. It's his peace. It is only with him that we experience the peace. I was telling the kids this story last night when I was a youth pastor. I loved to take my youth group and we'd go whitewater rafting and play paintball and all this kind of great stuff. One time we were playing paintball down in the Houston area. And we came up with this really cool paintball uh, area and it was a multi-story building. And in this multi-story building, um, there was like holes in the floor and all kinds of stuff. that You could jump down a floor without getting, uh, I don't think there, there was OSHA approved, but it was awesome. <laughs> You could, like, jump down in holes. You could climb up on these rope ladders. It was, like, the coolest paintball area I had ever seen in my life. And we went out there with our youth group. We had a bunch of our youth workers. We had a bunch of our kids. And we went out there. And I was like, in my mind, there's one way that things would be the way they should be. And that is if I paintball, like, shot every kid in our youth group. (laughs) Like just had total paintball dominance over all of them. That's the way it should be. When you're a youth pastor, that's uh, revenge. Uh, and so, like that's that's what I was hoping for. So we go out to play paintball, and I divided up our adults on one team uh, and another, and then the kids on one team and another. And I wasn't thinking things through, and so we went out there, and I had put a guy on the opposing team that was the most amazing paintball player I had ever experienced because he was retired special forces. And I did not think this through. And can I tell you, first round of paintball, that is not the way it should be. He got all of us. At one point, I thought I was chasing a kid. I was running through. One of those holes in the, in the floor was above me, and I was running down the hallway, and I was going to get him. I looked up. There was nobody there. And then somehow, I don't know how he did it, he upside down came down from the... I'm like, he, this is amazing. He came upside down, shot me right here. And then pulled himself back up that fast. He was Spider-Man. Like, it was amazing. And we got done with that game, and I was like, this is not what it should be. And so everybody was like, let's divide up teams. I said, that's a great idea. He's with me. Because things are about to be the way they should be. I was still bad at paintball, but I followed him everywhere. And we, he really, but we took out every single kid, and it was the way that it should be. I experienced the the way that it should be, the peace that I wanted at paintball, not because of what I was capable of, because of who I was with. So you understand that your peace does not come from your circumstances. It does not come from what you're capable of. The peace that you want and desperately need to experience, it comes because of who you're with. And if you're not with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, you will lack that peace in your life. And that's why I want to ask some of you, because maybe right now you're sitting there going, Jason, what if I don't feel this peace? What if I don't have his peace? Well, maybe, maybe you're trying to do it yourself. Maybe you're trying to solve everything on your own. Maybe you're trying to cope in life without the Prince of Peace. I want to tell you what you should do. I love this passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, and here's some things you can do, by prayer, and petition, thanksgiving, present requests to God. Have you ever thought in a place where you have no peace that my response in that moment is I'm going to pray, I'm going to petition God, I'm actually going to focus on what I'm thankful for and I'm going to present the things that I need to the Lord. It says, and then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to cope on your own. Step under the authority of Jesus Christ. Let him know that he is in charge and then you can have his peace. Recently, there was a man in our church named Jerry Tovar. Jerry is one of my good friends and a hero of mine. He's got an amazing story. I can't tell you the whole thing. But I just want to tell you a recent part of it. Many of you know this. It was just not that long ago, a few months, where Jerry started feeling something in his chest, this lump and hardening, and he went to find out that um, he had a, um, a tumor larger than, and deeper than a softball that was attached to his chest and pressing against his heart. And they went in to remove it, and they had to um, cut out part of his, like, ribs. They had to come out with the tumor, exposing his heart. They put another material in there that eventually will harden so that he can take impact up front. They had to take muscle from his back and pull it around to his front pectoral area and reconstruct him. Now, he, if you're going, how is he? He's right there. He's fine. He's <laughs> fine. But what was amazing as I sat and talked to Jerry with some of uh, guys that I meet with on Tuesday morning and he said something to me the other day and I thought, Jerry, that's a better thing. That's, that's better than anything I'm going to say. So I just wanted to show it to you from him. Go ahead.
1: When I was started, uh, as we were leaving the doctor's office after he told me he was concerned about the lump, the first song I heard was Firm Foundation. And it resonated with me. And the next morning when I woke up and went into the kitchen, turned the radio on, first song again from Foundation. And the lyric that really caught my attention was, I have a peace that makes no sense. And from that time on, I was, I was at peace with whatever was gonna happen, because I knew that uh, Jesus had my back and I was no longer worried about it. Uh, within a couple of months the tumor was removed uh, and I'm healed I'm healing and I am still just grateful every day for Jesus Christ
0: now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Jerry doesn't still have physical therapy and things like that that he's going through because he is but I would tell you this, that sometimes we don't know how good God really is until life hits us really hard. And in desperation we reach out to him and we hold on to the prince of peace. His peace comforts you, but also his peace saves you. In Romans chapter 5 verse 1 it says therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have what church peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not based on your works. It is through Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. He's the one that makes things as it should be. I love this painting. It's by Grace Remington. I've showed it for the last several years. It's this beautiful image that um, you guys put that on screen if you don't mind. There we go. I think they're getting it. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. I love this picture because it's a beautiful picture of what we're talking about today, as it should be. On this side over here, you have Eve, who at the beginning of creation is one who um, eats the fruit, and her husband is there with her. They both eat and they disobey God, and through that, sin entered the world. In Genesis chapter 3, we get the breaking of the world. And then you have Mary pregnant with the baby, and you've got Eve looking there, being comforted by Mary. Eve is going, Everything is a mess. The world is not as it should be. And Mary, with Jesus in her belly, is going, But it will be again. Because Jesus. Is coming, and some of you are going. Jason, I don't feel that I am too bad for God to ever love me. I think all of us have felt that. I remember the first time that I felt like I was doomed. I grew up in a traditional church. We had these uh, things that you sat on uh, uh, that were that were uncomfortable. They were large wooden pews. Anybody go to that church? Okay. and Under the pew, they had these little kind of compartments where hymnals and Bibles would stay. And I was a, just a little kid and I had this thing. We were singing. Ever, ever been doing something else and you breathe a little and you realize that you have um, a nasal impairment? A booger. Anybody know what a booger is? <laughs> Sorry, let me define nasal impairment for crossroads here. <laughs> I felt that. And so I was like, as a little kid, I, there's, I don't know, when you're young, there's, there's categories of boogers. I thought it was a roll and flick. That's what I thought it was going to be. I thought nobody's going to be looking, we're, we're going to be doing something, and I'm just, get it going. Like, damn, hey, I don't know where it lands. It goes up into the air. I just like, you just roll and flick. Well, sometimes you think it's a roll and flick, and it's something else. It's what my brother and I used to call a comet. It's got a hard front part with a long tail that drags out there. It's one of those, when it comes out of your nose, you feel it in your throat. It's not, it's not good. Don't, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I remember doing that. And all of a sudden, I've got a booger hanging off the... I'm like a 10-year-old boy, and I'm like, oh, no. I can't get up. I don't know what to do. And so I did what we were learning to do in school. When we had gum we had to get rid of. I reached under the seat. Don't judge me. And I wiped the booger. And then I thought I was wiping it on the bottom of the pew, but I didn't. I wiped it on a book, and in my heart I went, please let that be a hymnal. And I pulled it out, and it was a Bible. I had wiped a long, wet booger on a Bible, and I thought, going to hell. You cannot get back from that. And I remember having this tension inside of me, thinking, I'm too broke. I'm too messed up now. And all jokes aside, can we be honest? There's a lot of people in this room that you have felt that. You have felt you've done something and you went, I feel like there's an absence of peace in my life that I can never get it back. Because I've done too much wrong. I want to comfort you this morning. I won't feel like a comfort at first, but stay with me. I want you to follow along. Come on, Crossroads, help me out. If you've ever lied, raise your hand. There we go. If your hand's still down, you just lied. Okay. (laughs) If you've ever stolen anything, raise your hand. bunch of those people, okay? If you've ever... Now, come on. I've seen you guys. Be, be honest. On this. If you've ever been angry in a bad way? Okay. Whoa, calm down. All right, so um, if you've ever... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here, okay? But I want you to think about this. If you've ever looked lustfully at anyone... And as a matter of fact, I want you to think about it. Jesus said if you look lustfully at someone, you've actually committed adultery in your heart, which means sitting in this room today on Christmas Eve is a bunch of lying, thieving adulterers. Welcome to Crossroads. (laughs) Merry Christmas. The truth is, when that hits us, we feel an absence of peace, don't we? He can give peace and can also take it away. Can I just give you a thought for a minute? Maybe that absence of peace is a gift from an almighty God. If you go, well, I don't feel peace right now, Jason. Maybe that's a gift. Because God creates that tension in your life for only two reasons. You have an absence of peace so he can get your attention. And you have an absence of peace so he can draw you back to him. It's a gift Because he knows you need the prince of peace. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. That wall, with cracks and gaps, he tore it down and he built a new one where you could live with him in a new life and a peace that makes no sense. See, here's what I want to... You know, At Easter time, we have this, this saying all the time. When you get into the weekend of Easter, we go, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Christmas Eve, but Christmas is coming. On the first Christmas Eve, it didn't look good for anybody. On the first Christmas Eve 2,000 years ago, the Roman people wanted nothing to, to do with the Christian God. They were apathetic towards him. And maybe that's you today. The Jewish people had waited so long for him to show up, they had given up on God, and maybe that's you today. And the Gentile people thought they were simply too bad for God to ever love them. Maybe that's you today. And maybe you sit here on Christmas Eve, and you go, I'm too bad, I'm too broken, I'm apathetic, he doesn't care, whatever it is, and there's this tension on Christmas Eve that you desperately wish would be resolved by the Prince of Peace, and I want you to know Christmas is coming. Christmas can come for you today, not just tomorrow. That he wants to give you the gift, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave the gift of his son to save every single one of us, and he would love for this to be your last lost Christmas. And if you're sitting here, whatever you've gone through, whatever you struggle with, if you do not have a relationship with God, our challenge to you is this. If you're sitting here going, I don't know the Prince of Peace, I would tell you, you can. And you can right now. And so here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I'll ask our worship team to head up here as well. Here's what I want to ask you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and we don't do this very often here, but I felt like today would be an appropriate time for that. The first question I want to ask is, if you're in this room and I just want to be able to pray for you, and you go, man, Jason, there's an area of my life right now where I do not feel peace. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you real quick? Man, all over the room. Thank you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. You can put those down. Now I'm going to ask this. If you're in the room and you go, Jason, the truth is, I don't know the Prince of Peace. If that's you, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to draw attention to you, but if you could just look up and catch eyes with me real quick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You'll know if I see you, I promise. I may, If I don't catch everybody, that's okay. Thank you. For those people that just looked at me first of all I want you to know man there is nothing that we would love to celebrate more than you receiving the gift of Jesus Christ and man there's nothing but celebration in this room here's what I want to do for you we're going to pray a little prayer together I'm going to pray for you and you can pray yourself just say God I admit that I'm a sinner you can say this right you can say it out loud you can say it in your head whatever you want to do God I admit that I'm a sinner God I need you to save me your Lord your King I will be obedient to you thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy thank you for saving me thank you for peace I need my life to be what it should be God, for those that just prayed that prayer, I would hope that they wouldn't leave here today without talking to us. That we'll be out at our connect corner. God, I pray that you would just encourage them to come and talk with us after the service. Come talk with me, because we would love to encourage them. God, give them the courage today to let us know the decision they made. God, right now, I don't want us to respond the right way to what you've done in this room and what you always do. I want us to worship together. So God, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, church.